if I'm, um, you know, say 25 or 24, 25 years old, and I've got a college education, maybe I'm married now, maybe I have my first child, I'm interested in law enforcement, but if I join the Heart Patrol, I have no idea where I'm going to be assigned. I have no idea where I'm going to be working. Um, that can be hard. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Black and Blue fam? Welcome to another fun-filled edition of the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. Y'all know me. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you once again for joining me for another conversation situation. But uh, before we get to that, let me ask you, please, click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. It's just a small click for you, but it goes a long way for helping this channel stay relevant. And uh, if you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform, be sure to rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And last but certainly not least, make sure you check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, now, so with that taken care of, let's get right to it. Today's guest helped lead one of the country's premier state law enforcement agencies. So Black and Blue fam, help me welcome to the show, retired California Highway Patrol Assistant Chief, Johnny Reddick. Morning. Or afternoon. Morning, how are you? It's afternoon, but it could be morning somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's like they always say, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) How you doing? How's your day shaping up? My day is going pretty well. I mean, you know, it's uh, 9-11, so it's a day of remembrance for um, many of us. And so, um, yeah, just trying to be self-aware that that's what the date is today. So, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I posted on my socials earlier, uh, remembrance and then uh, some other pictures. When I went back to New York, me and the family went back to New York a few years ago. We went to the memorial, and that's a, that's a powerful place. Yeah. Very much. I mean, I think I immediately reflect back to where I was, um, you know, the day of, and uh, I think most of us do. So it's um, very visceral for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I remember when uh, when nine eleven happened. I was in. Uh, I used to be a Fed, and I was in training at that time, uh, uh, beginner training over at Fletzy in Georgia. And that happened. So we we're on East Coast time and, you know, we had just started getting up and having chow in the chow hall. And then, you know, all these news reports came out on the uh, on the TV and they locked down the base. And it, it was a, it was a wild time. Yeah, same. You know, everybody didn't know really um, what was going to happen next. Right. You could see what was happening, but you didn't know what was going to happen next, what those implications were. So we immediately went on 12 hour shifts. Um 
and we went to securing our state infrastructure because we didn't know, you know, what type of attacks would happen across the country um, as well. And so it was just a, I don't know, it was just like one of those times that you just can't believe that this is happening. And then I've met um, several people who were actually, you know, working in either NYPD or New York during the incident and just hearing their experiences and their stories and just, just very powerful and um, just very emotional in that sense. So just being respectful that, you know, today is a heavy day and a big day for all of us here in America. Absolutely. 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 So uh, I mentioned so, there in the intro, um, looks like we got a little bit of feedback real quick. Um, maybe turn down your, your speaker there a little bit, but uh, I mentioned there in the intro, that you are retired from the California Highway Patrol as an assistant chief. How long have you been retired now? Um, this will be my sixth year. Okay. So not that long. Not that long, but um, I, I think it's, I think about it and I'm like, man, time just went by fast. <laughs> yeah. We talked about before, uh, before we hit uh, record here about how fast, you know, something can come up a year and a half can come up on you. So yeah, I'm sure. How, how long did you do the uh, CHP? Uh, for me, I did 29 years. So, uh, you know, that's a long time. I could have went longer, of course, you know, I think, you know, it's still mandatory age for CHP is 60, but I felt like 29 years was, uh, good years, long years. And, um, I felt pretty comfortable with where I was when I decided to retire and I wanted to, I wanted to be mentally and physically healthy enough to be able to have life on the other side of the work so that, you know, I wasn't um, affected too deeply when I moved into retirement um, because I'd seen too many stories like that. And so I just had to make a big decision to say, you know, well done, time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had a, uh, a sergeant that retired from my agency maybe like five or six years. He only been retired and he had just passed away. We just had a service for him uh, and he wasn't that old i think he retired at 50 so maybe he was like 55 56 now yeah so that, that you happens. Know, you those stories it does so yeah. <clears throat> despite when it's time for us to go it's important for us to live life while we're here and able to live it i just realized i had put off so many things that i was waiting for retirement to do or be a part of and i just would encourage people don't do that live life now because nothing's guaranteed it, I mean, you can go while you're still working and it doesn't have to be like on duty. It could be just random stuff, right? I mean, yeah. that's the human experience really is random things happen to people every day. And um, so don't take anything for granted. Live life yeah. out loud. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, we all take pride in, in working and being employed and all that sort of stuff as well. And good thing, at least for law enforcement here in California, is that we can retire at such a young age. Uh, to get out and enjoy things after retirement. But yeah, sure, yeah, do those things while you're working too, because um, you, like you said, you never know. Well, I mean, I just know so many people that save all their vacation time and, you know, they don't take their vacation time. And I'm like, yeah, you, you can, there's different benefits for having it, but don't forget that you need to use it. You need to have that mental health time away. You need to have that time with your families. Um, you, it's that's what it's for. And you also have sick time. There's, you know, they, they retire with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of sick time because there's this big pride on not taking any sick time. And it's like, 
Okay, but if you're not well, or you could use that time to feel better or be better, that's what it's for. Because it makes you a better overall person, not just a better officer and all that, but it's a holistic uh, concept. When you when we talk about self-care and wellness, you know, use some of those benefits sure. that you have. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. That, that's what they're there for. So use them to your benefit. Makes you a well-rounded person. Not all at the all same right. time, because we know that there's staffing shortages. And so I don't want people to be like, oh, she said to take my time. You know, be respectful. I mean, because I hear those conflicts, too, that sometimes um, people don't respect the fact that you are working short staffed and people just want to have their time off and they're just going to take it because they're afforded it. Right. Versus looking at, you know, staffing situations and, you know, how do I get my time but still be able to support and help our unit or help our teams or our agency or whatever. And we'll, we'll get into staffing shortages and, you know, the outlook and, and how those things affect us today in law enforcement. But um, as a assistant chief, what were your kind of responsibilities when you were with the CHP? Um, so for uh, people that don't understand uh, uh, how California Highway Patrol is, is designed, it's, uh, there's 12,000, just under 12,000 employees uh, for the entire department. They cover the entire state of California. So, you know, we have just under 39 million people in the state of California. And uh, for us in the California Heart Patrol, we have eight, um, some would say nine field divisions that cover the entire state. Um, we have a headquarters where all of our uh, commissioners and our administration is staffed. And then we have these field divisions. And in field divisions, you oversee you know, several commands and they could be commands from 22 or 20 people to commands of 200 people, depending on the size of the command. So for example, if you're in Los Angeles or the Bay Area, kind of demographically and geographically in those areas, very diverse um, and also densely populated. So you could have larger commands in there. Um, each division has a chief um, and then they have a two-star assistant chief, um, one or two of those. Uh, to help with, you know, the thousands of employees that they have within each division. And so that's how it's kind of broken up throughout the, the state. We have a commissioner, we have a deputy commissioner, and then we have uh, two assistant commissioners, one that oversees uh, all the field, and then one that oversees kind of all of the uh, headquarters and administration uh, administrative processes. And so for me, as an assistant chief, I was an assistant chief in our Bay Area, uh, which is San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, but it encompasses everything, it, 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 you know, <laughs> there's a lot of commands that are encompassed in that area all the way to, down to San Jose, to Santa Rosa geographically, um, if you look at that. And then um, in Valley Division, which is our Sacramento, so Sacramento um, is Northern California, but um, it went all the way up to like Truckee and Tahoe, people are kind of familiar with that, all the way down to some of our um, central a division command. So that is where I retired out of is in the Sacramento kind of region. Trying to keep it generic enough so people listening can kind of put those pieces together versus sounding too departmental. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right. And then uh, you say you did uh, 29 there. What what uh, kind of drew you to the Highway Patrol and and all that since there? Um, well, let's see. Nothing necessarily like I had nobody in my family that was law enforcement. Nobody in my family was military. Um, you know, my, I was raised by a single mother. 
and my mother struggled uh, with, a, you know, prescription drug addiction um, off and on, but she was a registered nurse. And so she was somebody who was of service, you know, um, helping the others, being, you know, self-sacrificing and all this kind of stuff. And I would see her when she was in her good, uh, good moments, um, being really strong and being, you know, this leader. And um, I never really thought about any of that for myself. And so when I graduated high school and I barely graduated high school, um, I went into a job where I was a typist clerk. And that's kind of back in the late eighties, what was kind of mostly the work for women back then was secretarial or admin. And I worked for Kern County Human Resources Department as a typist clerk for social workers. And I was 18 and I was taking a few units of college at the junior college, mostly around accounting and better typing and better administrative skills. But um, what I found is that while I was working with the social workers, I started seeing people that um, I went to school with coming through, um, you know, to get assistance and aid. And they had already had, you know, a couple of children. And, you know, I started thinking about what else did I want to do? But I didn't necessarily see myself um, in an upward mobility pathway where I was. Uh, and so one day I just happened, I'd been there a couple of years. Uh, I happened to be looking at a real newspaper those paper newspapers. I was flipping through it and yeah, I'm a comic I remember book. those. I loved reading the comics. I loved reading the comics when I was coming up. And so I was reading the uh, comics for the day and across from that was a big ad for the California Highway Patrol. And it talked about the pay and it talked about, you know, the requirements to be eligible to apply. And it also talked about um, retirement. And so I didn't really know what any of that was, but I had grown up on chips, <laughs> the show. And so yeah. I was like, okay, hang gliding, beach life. I'm living in Central Valley, it's hot. Um, there's no surf anywhere around here. This could be kind of cool. So I applied at like 20 and a half. And um, because I had no background or anything that was significant that took a long time, I pretty much was in the academy in six months. And uh, I had no clue what a paramilitary anything was. <laughs> mm. You know, I'm sorry. I apologize for all those military people like, oh, my God, how'd you let that happen? Um, I had no concept of, you know, oh, dark 30 and marching and running and all of the stuff that came with it. But um, I think because I was an athlete, I played basketball um, in high school that the rigor wasn't that hard as far as the physical rigor. It was more of the mental stamina needed to endure the yelling and the stress they place on you. And then trying to then navigate all these tasks that you had to do and stay awake to be able to go to classes. And, and then you're female and you're female color. So you're like a small minority in this big group. So our class sizes were like 150. And, um, and there was probably 23 women um, at the time. And we came a week early before all the men reported, women reported a week early. And in that first week, they uh, took us out to the range to shoot the gun. They ran us a lot. Uh, they had us do things like watch how to change a tire uh, on a car. 
<laughs> um, yeah. and did some other, uh, you know, officer safety techniques and stuff like that. And mostly yelled at us all the time. And several women did leave and go home. Um, you know, that it was, they just, you know, weren't made out, cut out for it. And then the men came a week later and we just, it went to repeat and they just started yelling at everybody, uh, when everybody arrived. And so, you know, um, so I wasn't necessarily drawn to um, policing. I think I was drawn to service. I was drawn to how can I um, help others not knowing really what policing called for. And so, you know, when I think about, because I do a lot of um, work around talking to young people and, you know, trying to encourage them to come into law enforcement, and that's one of the things that I would have loved to have been able to do different was to know more about the job so that I could have been better prepared because somehow I squeezed through. But people shouldn't have to squeeze through if they're properly uh, prepared and they're better informed, like ride alongs, you know, going to those academies, opportunities, you know, citizens academies and spending time and um, things like that are just more helpful. Plus, also, you know, criminal justice um degrees help you uh, immensely and, and i didn't have any of that i didn't have a deep education i didn't have a lot of exposure and um i didn't have any mentoring or anybody that came alongside of me so i'm gonna take a break there because i was a lot of talking yeah <laughs> no worries and, and, and you talked about the uh, you know trying to mentor young people into the profession you know getting some some knowledge and and knowing what the profession's about so that they can kind of think of that as a career I know, um, you know, that's what a lot of Explorer programs are for. And, you know, I've seen the, the CHP has a, a big contingent of Explorer programs. How do, how do you, how does the CHP kind of recruit Explorers for one? Because I know it, at a local agency, it's probably easy to go to the local high, uh, high school. You know, you, sometimes you have an SRO in, in, in the high school. I was an SRO at one point and you can kind of point them in that direction. But how, how does the CHP kind of do that? Well, so that's, a, I think, a misperception, too, by a lot of people to think that because the California Heart Patrol is on the highway, that they don't have any um, routes in any of the communities, and they do. So when you look at our commands that are throughout the state, um, they sit in cities. Um, they sit in, you know, county pockets. And so this is where people either live and work around. Um, you have that office just like you would have a municipal police department office there. Um, they collaborate, collaborate and work closely with, you know, the sheriffs, the police department, all the other public safety partners. They go out to community engagement events. They have regular attendance at, um, you know, different engagements. And they're just like a police department in the sense that um, you have all the same expectations and all the same responsibilities. So when you set up a, for example, an Explorer program, you're really pulling from the same community that say um, the local municipality would have. Um, the difference in the strength of your explore program is who's coordinating it, who's overseeing it, how's it being implemented, how are you keeping your young people engaged? Um, because you know they're going to schools and 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 things and speaking about different um, traffic safety pro programs, peer programs, all those different things that affect young people just like municipal agencies are. But what makes them want to come over to your particular um, explorer program? And so the Heart Patrol does a really good job of um, in that skill building, not just skill building and awareness and knowledge for um, young people about policing, but just overall life. 
you know, how to be good citizens, how they want to, um, you know, start having a vision and a plan for their own life by going to, you know, continuing through high school and going to college and, um, and those things, and then helping them to prepare if they do decide to choose to go into law enforcement and they choose California Highway Patrol, how to help them to be able to do that and be successful. So they have competitions, so they compete on different skills. Um, they compete against other allied agencies, you know, so there's this sense of camaraderie, um, sense of achievement and accomplishment. And then you have this strong um, support system and new network um, for the young people that participate. Yep, yep. I remember when I was in SRO, we worked uh, really closely with the uh, CHP guys in my area um, for the, the, the uh, Every 15 Minutes program. I don't know if you know uh -huh. that program there where, you know, they come to uh, yes. to the local high school and they talk about, you know, the, the, the dangers and perils of drinking and driving. And we put on a big uh, a big presentation with a with a mock trial, with a mock crash and and all this is really powerful. And, and, and the students get to see that the, the whole school gets to see that mostly the seniors, the juniors and the seniors that are going to the proms. But, uh, yeah, we worked really closely with them on that. Yeah, I mean, traffic safety, um, if you look at the numbers, you know, the based on the mileage death rate and those numbers, um, you know, more deaths are occurring on the freeways, on all of our highways. And so, you know, disproportionately, African Americans are affected differently than, um, you know, white or Hispanic in some of these categories. And so I appreciate some of the work that I get to do working with Noble, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Um, in some of our initiatives that we work with some of our partners on, on creating, you know, education and informing on how to create better um, awareness in our communities of color on how to be safe. Um, and then also providing that opportunity for them to weigh in and give us feedback so that we can kind of pass that information forward with our partners that we work with um, kind of at the federal level to come up with different ways to approach traffic safety. So. You know, you mentioned every 15 minute program that is a tremendously important program and it's it's um, highly emotional to be a part of that. And then you also have families that have been affected by having lost some of their, um, you know, young people that will come and participate in those programs. Um, so it's it's a it's a very um, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's very powerful. And, you know, kids see it as kind of this cool moment to do, but it's very emotional, very powerful because it's very real. And I apologize because it just took me back to a few of my most horrendous um, traffic incidents and calls that I had to respond to, not only as an officer, but as a sergeant for my, my staff that would have to respond to some of these with young teenagers, exactly like you said, on these prom nights and their life is gone and their families are just devastated and, and crushed. And it's and as a result of drinking and driving. Yep, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I'm so, glad you, you mentioned that uh, what you used to do, you know, as a sergeant and all those sorts of things. Kind of talk about your career, you know, from, from when you graduated uh, the academy. Kind of what, what did you do? Where'd you go? Kind of give us a sense of your career as a CHP officer. Yeah, so um, um, I was from, I'm from Bakersfield, which is Central California, and the academy's in Sacramento. So that was the kind of first time being away from home. And then 
after you go through the academy for six months, you get to put in a dream sheet or a wish list for where you'd like to go in the state. And um, I happen to go to Southern California. So I went to a command in Ontario. Uh, then I went over to Ventura. And then I ended up in uh, the Bay Area in Hayward. And I spent quite a few years in Hayward. Um, you know, you, I got married, wanted to have family. Uh, affordability, we moved to the Valley. So I ended up being in the Valley in Stockton uh, for the majority of um, my officer years. And then I promoted to Sergeant and uh, went to um, San Jose. Oh, just, I take that back. I went to um, headquarters first and oversaw statewide programs um, there. And then I ended up promoting and going to San Jose as a lieutenant. And then I came back to uh, Stockton as a lieutenant. I was a sergeant and a lieutenant in Stockton, working the field, working graveyards, working uh, swing shift, working day shift, working whatever shift uh, that you work because you, know, you had to fill in where you had to fill in. And then as a captain, I was back in the Bay Area. Um, and then as an assistant chief, like I said, I was in the Bay and then came back to um, kind of the Valley where I then oversaw um, Stockton and eight other commands. Nice, nice, nice. And then as a, as a female, I know you mentioned all the trials that you had to go through in the academy. Did you kind of experience the same sort of thing when you when you made it out to the field? Uh, yeah, as an officer, I mean, I had, you know, <laughs> family friendly show, I'm sure. Um, I had those people. <laughs> hey, that speak would speak your mind. It's just us. It's just <laughs> us. Speak your mind. Uh, I would have those individuals that just refused to ride with women, call us every name in the book. Uh, and this was in briefing. <laughs> this is not like wow. sidebar and they're calling you these things and you're just experiencing it. This is like in briefing and the sergeants are up front and never say anything, just allow it to happen. And um, they would go home sick. Like if you, the sergeant was going to like make them ride with you, they just go home sick and, you know, be like, okay, like no, no big deal. Um, and then they'd make us women sometimes ride three to a car because nobody wanted to ride with us. Um, so we would just have fun with it. I mean, you know, we had pretty thick skin, you know, our mouths were just as bad as theirs were. And, you know, we let them know how we felt and then we'd just go out and do the work. And I remember um, graveyards in Hayward. And I had a, a, a partner that, man, we just, we made it our absolute mission to go out and try to beat everybody else on how many deuces we were going to hook for the month. And I, man, we were like either one or two every single month and, and you know, and gave deuces, people nothing to say. Real quick, deuces for the, uh, for the general audience that would be. DUIs, people DUI. who've been drinking and driving. You know, um, and these weren't people that were like barely, you know, over an 08. These are people that were smashed. You know, they were out there just uh, high, high, high blood alcohol levels. Um, and we would just hook and book all night long and we'd be done probably about mm, two or three o'clock in the morning. We'd have four some good nights. We'd have four. Most nights we'd have two or three. But that was our job because we felt like our job was to go out there and make the road safe. That's what had been pounded into us. That was what we would do. So when you know when you're out there and you have speeders going 90 or 100 miles an hour, we're like, okay, they're either just straight speeding or possibly they're going to be DUI because we work graveyards. So most of the time, those were our stops, stopping them for speed, and they were usually DUI. 
stopping them for weaving back then, they were either sleepy or DUI. Today, it's distracted driving. Is, is So that gets really confusing when you're trying to see if somebody's, um, you know, uh, impaired or not. But back then, um, it was pretty cut and dry most of the time. I mean, we had our share of tussles and fisticuffs and stuff like that, but men didn't come to our calls. Uh, we pretty much handled our calls together. Um, and I would say it wasn't until several years. It's almost like you had to prove yourself a lot longer than you wanted to. Like our younger generation that was around our age were more helpful. But when we came in and we had like an older generation of males, they just didn't want to have anything to do with you. Um, they just wanted to really add, like, why are you here for one? And then they just couldn't wrap their mind around helping you at all. And so it didn't take until I got into um, the Stockton Command and I had to respond to quite a few things on my own, um, you know, overturn big rigs, cars all over the road, like the whole thing, like you see in a movie, everything shut down and it would be my scene. And people would roll by and be like, you got this and then keep on going versus get out and help you. And it took a while before like a few of the senior officers started to say, man, she can hold her own. She can do her own work. And they invited me to a choir practice to have a soda after work. So I'm a non-drinker. I debated on was I going to say yes or no, but I knew it was a make or break point. And so I said yes and literally had a soda. But it was that um, opportunity for um, them to kind of get to know me more personally and for me to not be so armored up against them all the time because I was just like, man, they just, you know, you, you create this us versus them versus us. It's us, but we're us versus them. And it was just a big defining moment. Um, and to this day, I credit my um, growth and becoming a better officer because of those senior officers once they let me in because they were working twice as hard as I was working out in um, the Valley twice as hard as I'd ever thought about working in the Bay Area. These people were working hard. Yeah, yeah. Did any of them ever, of you know, talk to you about, you know, their decisions to kind of shut you out in the beginning and, and why they did that? They never talked about it like in a male-female thing other than to say, you know, you're the only the third or fourth female that we've had in the office. And so it made sense in that vein, because if you have an office of, you know, 100 people and you're the only the third or fourth woman that they've ever had work in this particular command, it's an experience for you. And if you've never had to work around women, that's an experience for you um, in, in, in this command in Stockton in Hayward. Uh, they were a little more hateful, a little more mean about it. Uh, but when I came to Stockton, they were a little bit more family because um, it, it's a different type of environment than when you're working in the Hayward kind of the metropolitan kind of thing. People are transient in and out of the commands, transferring all the time. When you move into the valley, people kind of stay in that command longer. So there have been people that were there longer. So it was really about, you know, can you come in and do the job? And if so, we're going to just, you know, treat you you know, like everybody else to a degree. I was still a woman, right? But um, but yeah, I remember when I left um, on my first promotion, one of the older gentlemen gave me like a really small little card. And the card said, you always know how to find your way back home. And that's Stockton. 
And I carried that in my pocket for a really long time because having his approval, not, I, I think approval is not the, the right word. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but his like, um, acknowledgement. Yeah, that's good. His ex acceptance allowed other people to lean in and say it was okay too, because he was like a senior leader in the office. And so, um, yeah. Nice, nice. And then that was kind of like the early nineties. Had you seen uh -huh. things kind of change, uh, up until the point that where you, where you retired in, the, in that regard? Uh, yeah, I would say things change for me. Um, and I'm going to keep that kind of specific and tight for a reason. And then I can kind of branch out from there. But for me, as I moved up in my promotions, um, male subordinates didn't treat me like they used to treat me because now I'm their boss, right? So that changed. But I will say moving into my peer groups was a little different because, for example, being an officer, going to a sergeant and coming back to supervise people who had an issue with me as a female and working with the sergeants who had an issue with me as a female, and now I'm their peer was quite fun. And then when I promoted again to lieutenant and oversaw them was even more fun. <laughs> and fun because they struggled with it for a while, but uh, for me, I didn't hold any kind of animosity or grudges and stuff, but you know, it's kind of those things where they were uncomfortable. One was like, I'm going to retire. And I was like, that's about time anyway. <laughs> yep. um, time to go. But overall in the department and the organization, it's just a reality. Women are a minority. Uh, I mean, for the CHP, I think women are less than 7% um, out of the 7,500 sworn um, positions that there are. And when you look at leadership, there's not very many women in high ranking positions because there's just not very many women. Um, and, you know, I believe there, you know, leadership has the heart to want to create the diversity that's needed. Um, it just has to constantly be on your front burner. It can't be the flavor of the month or somebody thinks about it today and forgets about it tomorrow. You have to create that um, within your organizational culture. You have to recreate, you know, how you're recruiting and marketing, not just this big conceptual stuff, but really, how are you engaging people to have those really good conversations and bring them in through the process? And so it's a reality that all law enforcement is facing. You know, well, I'm not going to say all because there's some agencies that they've got 20% or 30% because, you know, um, they have some great strategies, but majority are, you know, struggling with staffing period. And then when you talk about diversifying that staff, it, it becomes even more complex. So Yep. It's hard for women uh, for a lot of reasons in my mind that if I look around and I don't see other me's and I don't have that good allyship from my male um, counterparts, then you can feel very alone. It can feel very hard for you to navigate the space because we know that it's um, emotionally stressful, it's physically stressful. And if you don't have um, that community of support that you need, um, it can be very difficult and challenging. And it can be difficult when you have um, white males who are choosing other white males for special assignments, um, for uh, promotions. And 
you're wondering, well, why, what happened? Why not me? And, you know, some of it could very well be that, you know, maybe you didn't uh, perform well in the exam process. Um, but a lot of times, even I found that they pick who um, they want to pick. <laughs> That's all I can say is you can all make the list, um, but the person gets to pick who they want to pick. And um, when I learned those politics, I started trying to mentor and help others to understand the politics. The exam process, yes, how to prepare and how to get on that list. It's what I do. It's what I've done for decades. It's what I still do. But you have to be prepared for the politics of once you get on the list and you don't get picked and then you don't get picked again. Um, how do you navigate that and what do you do? And I've had conversations with some people where you have to decide, is that the agency you want to stay at? Because there's agencies that will pick you up in a heartbeat um, if you're the right candidate and move you right over into, say you want to be a sergeant, they'll move you into a sergeant position. If you're a lieutenant and your agency doesn't have any room for you, but you're on that list, especially depending on you know municipalities and how that works, and they go outward for um, looking for candidates, put in because you'd be surprised. They may pick you up. Just because your agency doesn't, doesn't mean you have to stay there for life and just have to keep suffering that same kind of loss and defeat and feel like, you know, it's you. Some of it can be you, so don't forget to have some self-reflection, but some of it, they're going to pick who they want to pick. It just is what it is. And that's how mm -hmm. the exam process is designed. So you can't have a lawsuit per se because it's a rule of three or rule of two or however the chief has and HR has designed the process. Right, right. I know for a time, I don't know if it was the last commissioner or the commissioner before that, that was female, correct? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a 30 by 30 initiative. Do you know how the how the agency's kind of moving forward with that? Is is uh, Are the numbers kind of changing? Now, I, I know we're all having a hard time getting, getting people in the door, period. But uh, as far as trying to uh, increase the numbers of females in the ranks, how, how do you think that's going? I really like um, I really like all of our commissioners that we've had. Um, I've come up in the organization with them, right? So you you know the their hearts, you know their intentions. It's just very difficult, and I'm going to use the California Heart Patrol uh, specifically as an example. It's a state agency. It is collectively how many communities how many citizens, you know, these variations, all these different factors. So if I look at, say, the city of Stockton, and they're looking to recruit people into their community, you know what you're going to be getting in that community, in that agency, per se, in that community. But for the CHP, when they do recruitment, it is recruitment that's statewide uh, recruitment efforts. And so you'll get people from all over, all over the country, internationally, who might be interested in the Highway Patrol and the potential is you're gonna work in any particular community throughout the state. So that's very hard when you're talking about women who are looking for a policing job that if I'm, um, you know, say 25 or 24, 25 years old, and I've got a college education, maybe I'm married now, maybe I have my first child, I'm interested in law enforcement, but if I join the Highway Patrol, I have no idea where I'm gonna be assigned. I have no idea where I'm gonna be working. Um, that can be hard. Plus, I got to go to an academy that's live in for six months. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of those factors that influence and affect women um, choosing the CHP in a large state agency. 
And so I know that there's been a lot of different task force and, um, you know, work around how can they change some of the processes, you know, the exam system, how people can come and do, um, take the exam in three days, you know, all the different components, trying to reduce that time, trying to reduce the amount of time it takes for a background, um, trying to look at how bifurcating the academy on when they come in and what post required classes they take up front, front loaded per se. And then, you know, how do we give them agency specific training? Uh, but all of those things, the reality is we're people, right? So it's hard for a woman to make that decision necessarily and have to decide how do I leave my family for six months? And then how do we know where we're going six months from there? Um, so I, I just say it's a very difficult um, challenge. We have always been low. Um, for I was in recruitment for um, several years, oversaw statewide recruitment, and the numbers are not much different um, from 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, it's just kind of the state of where we are. doesn't mean that they're not trying. It's just it's complex. It's a lot of municipal agencies in one big state agency. And, you know, how do you get people, women and people of color to be like, I want to go do this. So we do a lot of military recruiting. So we get a lot of military recruits, right? Um, all of our police agencies do actually. So um, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but it's just yeah. a very complex, yeah. hard, difficult thing. When you look at a large state agency and the size of this state is enormous. Right, right, right. I know. I know. You mentioned it's kind of tough for people to, or or women in particular, to, to determine whether or not they want to work for the CHP because of you know they've got to leave for six months and then they don't know where they're going to go after that. Is part of you know your career growth in the CHP? Is it mobility? It, it, it you know are you required to move every now and then, or once you get to a field office, no. can you stay there forever? Yeah. Once you get to one office, you can stay there forever. That is absolutely your choice. Um, I did not um, simply because I liked having the ability to change it up every two to three years. Um, and then when you promote, you go back into the same cycle. So it's only very rare that you get to promote, promote right where you're at. Most of the time, if you're going to take a promotion, you're going to be leaving the command you're in and you're going to be having to make a decision if you're going to you know, if I'm in Stockton, which is Central Valley, am I going to go to Oakland? Am I going to take the job in Oakland? Or am I going to take the job in San Diego? And that's all based on, you know, kind of where you are on the list and when your time get, comes up and the offer. Are you going to take the offer or are you going to pass? And you can pass so many times until the list expires, right? So you're making these decisions all the time and what's going to be best for your family or what's going to affect them least. And so for me on my promotions, I chose to pick places that I could commute to. So my family never had to move because I had two young children. My husband at the time was with the local police department and nobody had to move. The only person that had to be mobile was me. But we know that commuting creates stress and strain and uh, fatigue and all of that. When you, you make those decisions, those are hard too. Yep. Yep. Those are the, uh, some of those moves can happen like, you know, when your kids are young, uh, but you know, especially when they get into high school is, it's, it's a little bit tougher. Um, maybe even middle school. So those are, those are decisions that, uh, you know, you got to think about is, uh, is kind of promote it, moving to promote. Is that kind of expected? I know you said, you know, you can, you can pass on a list you know, one or two times, but after that, Hey, if you don't want it, then we're not going to offer it to you again. Right. 
Well, uh, you know, for us, the way maybe other agencies work different, but ours are all the way until whatever the list date expiration is. So, you know, um, let's just use a small number. Let's say there's 10 of us on the list. Um, the offer is maybe one command and they're going to go to the first three people, you know, on the list. First person passes, second person passes, third person passes. Well, they can go into the next ranks because they're all ranks in the list until somebody picks up. And then when the next offer comes out, they start at the top again and you go down. And so, um, you know, some people know how to uh, use that system well, and then others, you know, lose out on getting a job <laughs> if yeah. they want to promote. So you have to be really careful. But, you know, some of those processes have changed. Um, you know, the way you used to get on a list um, looks way differently than how you get on a promotional list now and how long the list lasts has definitely changed because people would use that system, right? And uh, commissioners and chiefs and, you know, different divisions, they want the best of the best. They don't want people who are, you know, trying to game the system, but it's also not gaming. It's, and I, I hope they realize that people are just trying to make good quality of life decisions that's best for their families and best for them. Not that they don't want to promote, but I don't want to have to promote and possibly jeopardize the quality of my life with my family and my mental health in order to make this thing work all for what increased pay, which sure, we all want to get paid more, but man, I don't know if I want um, to pay that high of a price. Right, right. And in some of those areas, there are, are the pay is the pay commensurate to where you are. I mean, if you go from from, say, you know, Stockton or or Bakersfield the up, up to the, the Bay. Same. So the same. same pay. Wow. Wow. So, you know, your, your cost of living is going to be a lot higher in San Francisco than it is in, in Bakersfield. Absolutely. So you have to make that decision like, OK, but, you know, after they do a year or so, they can start to put in for a transfer. Um, then it's based on seniority. So depending on where you go, it could be several months. It could be several years because it might be you know, a hard place to get to because of seniority. So they don't have to go even on a promotion and stay there forever. They can put in to transfer to go somewhere else. And again, we have over 100 plus commands throughout the state of California, including headquarters commands. Yeah, nice. And then, uh, you know, getting back to, you know, the actual job duties of a CSP officer, I know we talked about earlier, uh, there's more than just, uh, you know, regulating the, the laws, the highway laws on the highways. And we talked about, you know, collaborating with, uh, you know, schools and local agencies as well. A lot of people don't know some of the other uh, duties and, and assignments that can happen. I know now with all the, the retail thefts going on, the CHPs in charge of, of those task forces, at least out here in, uh, in Southern California, what what other sorts of things are? There? I know you talked about chips earlier. You know they had hang gliders and stuff like that on the show. We we're like, come on now, when the chippies doing that? But what what other sort of things are are the CHP office, uh, officers uh, able to do in their career? Yeah, those were uh, I love chips, man. It was so cool. Um, yeah, but they have their operations. So you know, you think about um, a lot of people may think about air air operations as you know, being overhead, looking for suspects, following pursuits, but they also do a lot of air rescues. Um, so for us in our Valley Division, our air operations did a lot of air rescues, um, you know, in the Tahoe, um, Truckee kind of regions and areas of that. So, you know, those are things that we do. Also, um, commercial vehicle um, inspections are significant for the Highway Patrol, um, that whole 
um, regulating and making sure they're in compliance um, is is one of the you know I think uh, scary parts and also one of the most important parts because you know those are very big um, uh, vehicles uh, traveling on the freeway. I'm trying to keep it just as simple as possible, but uh, very big vehicles traveling on the freeway. So and making sure that everything is in compliance and inspecting those commercial vehicles. Um, Highway Patrol has a lot to do with um, legislative um, changes and things that impact us, um, you know, not only in California, but in the whole traffic safety industry for uh, the country. So they're part of a lot of committees um, and a lot of uh, projects with the Na National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration um, relative to those conversations that impact um, everybody's um, traffic safety policies and procedures, but we also have uh, investigations. They investigate um, not only things like retail theft, having a task force, but also um, having to do with cyber crimes, um, uh, helping other state agencies with investigations that they have. Um, of course, we have like, you know, SWAT, like other, other municipal agencies have. We have, um, you know, when I think about some of the things that we've gotten involved in over the last probably 10 or 15 years, we operate like a very large state, like municipal type agency in the sense of we do a lot of the similar things. We just don't have one community <laughs> that the CHP does it in um, because we become an extension sometimes of the governor on what those needs are. So for example, if you have uh, places like uh, um, at one time it was Stockton, but not right now currently, but I can't know. I can't remember if it's uh, Vallejo or, or where, where they have low staffing and they need mutual aid and assistance um, from law enforcement. CHP often will go into MOU, uh, which is a memorandum of understanding and help those particular cities with policing. Um, you know, how that's defined is very clear on what say the police agency will do, but what the CHP will do, but we come in and support um, and augment um, those services because they don't have enough. And we've done that for years. And so CHP is like that utility police department on the state's belt to call in to help with all kinds of things like, you know, this uh, um, sideshow racing, street racing that's happening all across oh, yeah. um, our state. Highway patrols, you know, um, part of those task force with all those different municipal agencies all across the state. That, but our entity is still the CHP, right? Even though we're working with different cities. So uh, it's just it's just so many different things that the Higher Patrol does. And it's very interesting for people who might be interested in law enforcement to take a closer look because it's not just out there, you know, writing tickets to reduce fatal and injury collisions and change driving behavior and respond to collisions on the freeway and help pedestrians that are stranded. It's very complex. Uh, the community engagement work that um, CHP does to build public trust has significantly changed over, you know, the last probably decade and a half um, on how they get involved and how they're um, embedding themselves more in the community um, because the community needs that. And we need more partners out there to be able to affect change, right? Everybody wants to have this quality of life that we can all feel safe. Um, and we can also know that um, things are being addressed. And sometimes one agency cannot do that. They need the support of their partnerships. And I think that collaboration is really important. All right. All right. 
And uh, I know that, uh, you know, you rose through the ranks of the CHP and then you finally called it a, a career. What, what are you up to nowadays? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I love the academic side of uh, my, my learning in the last probably uh, since probably 10 years. And so I'm a professor um, at the University of San Diego, and I um, uh, am part of the uh, LEPSL program. So it's the Law Enforcement Public Safety Leadership Program, and it's a graduate program for um, uh, public safety and law enforcement professionals. So I get to teach for that online. I, it'd be nice if I was there in San Diego. Uh, but I do go to the graduations, and um, so I get to work with executives all across our nation and every now and then we'll have an international um, student or so. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I teach over at our uh, junior college here for um, cadets who have come into our administration of justice, but they're in the cadet program uh, to become a police officer. And so I teach a cultural immersion project where we talk about um, community engagement and understanding um, different cultures that they're experiencing and how to be able to um, you know, be a little bit vulnerable in the conversations that we have so that we can get past some um, assumptions and stereotypes. And we look at the history of law enforcement um, and policing in particular communities. And so I enjoy doing that. And then I do a little bit of consultant work and uh, I'm an author of a couple of books and I am a grandmother of two. And so I enjoy spending time with uh, my husband, my kids, my grandkids. And so when I was talking to you earlier, I told you that grandkids will change your thinking in your heart on what you think, you know, so. Yeah. 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 Like I, and, and I told you, hopefully not anytime soon. <laughs> well, yeah, if yours are too young, you got plenty of time, but yeah. 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 So, so you're still busy, really busy. Sounds like. I am. I, I feel like we should continue to contribute. Um, you know, until such a time that we cannot. So yeah. I, I still believe in being of service. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you talked about your family. How, what did your family kind of think? I know you said your husband at the time was in law enforcement and then you're in law enforcement. So both of you guys are in law enforcement. What, what did the families think about, you know, you being in law enforcement, especially being a mom? Well, uh, so when I came on, I was n none of those things. I was uh, joint policing when I was not, no children, no husband. Uh, again, single parent mom who was like, you can do anything you want to do. You're capable of doing it. So she believed in me to be able to do it. And so I did. Um, when I got married, um, he was not in law enforcement. And um, he eventually ended up being in law enforcement. But I said he was, I keep using was, so we are one of those statistics. Um, we were married for like 18 years. We have two beautiful children. Um, and so, but it was, you know, the relationship was strained. It was hard, it was difficult. And as you see, I was promoting. So that required um, different things from both of us. And so, you know, I would just tell people to have those conversations with your family and your significant others on what are the expectations of one another? Because, you know, you feel like you're supported and then you're not supported or are you supported? But if you're not communicating, you don't you don't know and you don't know how to be able to navigate those decisions on top of other nuances and factors that happen in a relationship. The work part um, can be very significant for you, especially for us in um, public safety and law enforcement. 
my children, they think mom's cool. They thought she was like, okay. They were like, you know, but I will say when it was time for me to retire. So my son is 31, my daughter is 26. And uh, it was six years ago, again, that I decided to retire. And I will say that my daughter was absolutely um, more than relieved because she had seen how the stress and the pressure of my uh, position uh, was just really hard on me. Um, you know, it was long days, long hours. So when we're dealing with, um, you know, all the fires we had in Northern California, those aren't 12 hour shifts. Those are 24 hour, 36 hour, 48 hour shifts. And you're dealing with hundreds of staff that are out there on different shifts and all the different stakeholders when you're in these um, unified commands and working through mutual aid. And those were some tough, uh, that last couple of years were tough with all those fires and all the um, disasters we'd had in different ways and also a lot of loss of life. We had several line of duty deaths. We'd had several um, suicides, several significantly hurt, injured and sick. And when you're a chief, you carry the weight of all of those things, but you keep functioning. But at home, your family and your children see all that. And so um, when I told her I was, you know, I really, I'm done. I've made the decision. She cried and I cried because she was like, mom, you've done a good job. Well done. It, it's time. And I still get emotional. When I think about it because she's right. You know, I think we yeah. feel like we got to keep, you know, doing this thing. And if we've done our job well, that means we have brought other people up behind us that will continue to do the job well. And it's okay for us to go ahead and do something different. And it's okay. Because I talked to, to a couple of uh, my peers that I ran across, not in my agency, but other agencies. And I couldn't, I, I, they were like, I'm just so, how did you have the courage to retire? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, I want to retire, but I'm a little bit afraid. And I was like, don't be afraid. I said, because I had ran into them after I'd been retired a couple of months. I said, don't be afraid. It really feels good. I said, you know, when you saw me and you said, man, you look really good. I said, because all the weight was lifted. All of it was just lifted. The stress, the caring, everybody's everything. Um, and all the expectations on who you think you need to be and how you need to do it, they're gone. And um, and he goes, I hear you. I just, it's just my identity. So I just would say, if you are thinking about retiring and getting close to it, you know, really utilize your resources that you have and maybe start talking about it with somebody like a therapist or you know, somebody that can help you navigate um, feeling no fear, feeling like, man, it is really the next step that's natural and it's okay to take. Because we get all this information and education on our finances, right? How we're going to get paid, when we're going to get paid, what's the percentage we're going to get paid. We get that down to a T, but we don't get the, the emotional and uh, wellness aspect of retirement because you do fall off an abyss of uh, engagement and interaction with people, uh, people that say they're going to call and check on you and let's do this and let's do that. Uh, it lasts maybe a month or two and then you just don't hear from people anymore. So you can significantly go through, um, you know, a mental health shift if you don't have yourself anchored in other stuff. You can only travel so much. You can only have small drinks with umbrellas so much. You can only sleep in so much, watch TV shows so much. Yep. And at some point you're going to be facing yourself a lot more than you did before. 
Um, and, and sometimes when you have a spouse, you can spend too much time with each other when you didn't before. I mean, all of these things. So just, you know, really think about, you know, what you want that to look like. And do you want a second career and don't jump into it right away? Make sure it's something you want to do. And then if you don't like it, don't feel like you're obligated to keep doing it. Don't, but find the right thing that's a good fit for you. Right, right. right. Good words. Good words to live by. Good words to live by. <laughs> All right, Chief. Hey, I appreciate you coming on and uh, and, and telling us all this sort of stuff about you know wellness and and keeping your 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 family and your mental health alive and and all that sort of stuff. But hey, like I said, you are not done. I told you in the beginning of the uh, <laughs> the program that we can add a little trivia here for you. So let me get this set up here for you before I, know, I let and I you go. I told you I'm gonna do the best I can. Uh, you'll do fine. You'll do fine. <laughs> Let's get you started here. And uh, here we go. Black or blue? 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 Come on. All right, Chief. This is my black or blue game. And your category today is TSMCA. TSMCA. I know you have no idea what that means, but uh, CHP being abbreviation for California Highway Patrol. So we're going to talk about abbreviations specifically text and social media conversation abbreviations uh, you got kids and you got grandkids and i know you know the lols and and all that sort of stuff so <laughs> you let's see i don't know yeah. well you know you're you're a college professor so you you know so you deal with the yeah so Man, i'm gonna do the i'm gonna do the best i can some of these new emojis though i'm like oh, i don't know yeah. we'll, we'll get we'll get you through chief don't worry about that so here, here's your first one here SMH. SMH. What's that? Shaking my head. Shaking my head. That is correct. Shaking my head. See? You knew that one. How about your next one here? How about uh, OMW? Oh, OMW. Oh, my. Let's, let's say someone's asking you, when you coming? On my way. On my way. <laughs> <laughs> On my way, yeah. All right, so I told you we'll get you through this. How about I wait? Uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm so uh, thinking of uh, the phonetically. So I Y K Y K. I was gonna say I yellow, but I. I've not seen that one. I, I know you say it all the time, though. Why aren't you gonna give me a stab hint? at it? Yeah, uh, the first word is if. If you know, if you know your... <laughs> you, you got it, if you know, you know, yes. <laughs> okay, if you know, you know, I was like, ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, if, if you know, you know, yep, you know that. <laughs> uh, how about two, TBH? TBH, to, to be her to be had to be mm. uh, roll back to, to be to be honest <sighs> to be honest okay nobody's ever trying to be honest with me but okay to be honest <laughs> <laughs> uh well you know in a saying in, in a you know in a conversation you know to be honest to be honest i really don't want to go yeah, I'm really not feeling that. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna use that with my daughter today. To be honest, I do not want to hear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about JK? You know that one. Just kidding. 
Just kidding. Yeah. That's for her. She's listening to that, to the last thing I said. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. How about uh, HMU? Kind of talking about uh, if uh, help me understand. Uh, no, you want somebody to to contact you later. Hit me up. Hit me up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me up. Yeah. See, we get through this bay. I know you heard the term, but you know what it means. <laughs> it literally bae. means bay. It literally means bay, but it kind of means something else too. It means uh, oh. I'll give you that one though. That was uh, before anyone else is your bay. Oh, okay, but yeah, bay literally means your bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> Couple more here for you. How about uh, WYD? What? What? What you doing? What you doing? Yep. Yep. What you doing? What you doing? Yeah. What you doing? I see. Why am I? I see why am I? Yeah. I can. Mm-mm. First word is in. Yep, that's not helping. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Go back. Okay, I wasn't going to get that. <laughs> you got it, man. <laughs> in, in case you missed it. Yeah, I was not gonna get that one. <laughs> uh, in case you missed it, a couple more here. Uh, TIA. You're asking a question to maybe a group, and you want an answer, and that one's like, uh, "Wow!" Thank you. Thanks in advance. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna have to really learn this whole new language, aren't I? <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, that was a big one on social media in groups. You know, you ask some questions. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, thanks, thanks in advance, and then you get all social responses. So, and uh, here's here's a new one with the young ones. Fr fr. For real, for real. For real, for real. See, for real, for real. And I think your for last one uh, here. Yep. IDC. Real, real, uh, yeah, that's being real um, ambivalent. I don't care. I don't care. Yep. Wow, I'm going to really have to do that one with her. <laughs> <laughs> Man, here's your last one. I know you can do this one. STFU. Oh, yeah. Uh, t- shut the, uh, yeah, shut the front up. Yeah, shut the front up. <laughs> shut the front up. Yes, TSMCA, Texas Social Media Conversation Abbreviations. I think you got more right than you got wrong. Whether or not it was with a little help, but we gonna call you. Yeah, see now you now you know all these abbreviations you can you can share with your daughter and all the youngins, all the youngins out there. And yeah, but you said, well, you're a professor, so don't I'm like, no, they're required to write an APA format. 
Yes, yes, yes. No, none of those text abbreviations in, in their submit papers, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no shortcuts. <laughs> All right, Chief. Hey, I appreciate you. How about a few words for the audience before I get you out of here? Um, I just want to thank you so much. I think what you do is just so super cool. Um, and the fact that you reached back out to have me, um, I just feel very blessed. Um, I, I enjoy everything that I absolutely do. I believe in our profession. Um, I know we say it's noble. It's just more such a heart, it's heart work. And um, if we can find a space every day to find the positivity and gratitude um, in our moments, then it might make it just a little bit easier when you go out and have to face the harshness of the day, because within the harshness, there are these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bright spots. Um, so look for those. Don't just go into the day um, looking for all the horrible things that are going to happen, because that's all we've been listening to. Um, find those bright spots, find that positivity and gratitude, and know that the service that you're providing is needed, and we need you. And I just want to thank everybody that's still out there wearing the uniform, going to work every day, and then all of those who continue to pour into the profession. Thank you. Indeed. Amen. Amen. All right, Chief. Hey, I appreciate you. You go about today and have a, have a great one and, and a great uh, rest of your, your uh, week. And uh, hey, we'll talk soon. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk Absolutely. soon. I appreciate Stay you. Stay safe. Stay thank safe. Thank you. Talk soon. Okay. All right, y'all, what you think? Fire, right? It's what we do here on the Black and Blue Podcast. Let me thank retired CHP Assistant Chief Johnny Reddick for showing up and showing out on this episode. It was truly a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope we can do it again. If you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, let me know by sounding off in the comment section. And be sure to like, subscribe, and share the episode, too. I'll be back before you know it with another dope episode just like this one. But till then, y'all already know. Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.